Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today's show, I would like to thank ARS Pharmaceuticals for their very kind support of FACT's Roundtable podcast. We love our family, but sometimes we're challenged when we get together with family members who just don't understand our food allergy needs and way of life. But we're going to tackle this problem with Elisa Word, FACT's Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and an emotional intelligence expert to learn how to deal with our loved ones with dignity while setting boundaries to keep everyone food allergy safe. Alisa, welcome back to Facts Roundtable podcast. Today is going to be yet another very important and very impactful conversation. You always bring us information that we really need, but what I really enjoy is you bring it in a way that we can understand and take action. Thanks, Caroline. It's always great to be here, as usual. Love coming back. Can't believe it is getting so late in the year already. So we definitely have a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of things to think about, you know, as kids are in school and, oh gosh, we're getting closer to holidays. There's a lot. So I'm ready to go ahead and jump right in and start talking about some stuff. Well, then we're just going to go right in as well. As you know, one of the most prominent challenges that families have and adults with food allergies is dealing with family members who just don't understand our food allergy needs. You know, we know they love us, but, and especially in my family, cultural and family dynamics can often create challenges when we're dealing with our food allergies. So there's this intersection where this takes place. Can you talk to us about how culture or family dynamics actually can impact people when we're requesting support for our food allergies? Oh, absolutely. That is a big deal in a lot of families and a lot of different cultures. And one of the things that really comes to mind is the fact that in many families and many cultures, really the only thing that some people had at one point that really could, they could use as an identity of their greatness was cooking you know, and having food and things like that. So when you start to kind of like evolve and get into a place where we are now in the world where people are looking more deeply into themselves, into additional ways of identifying themselves, something like that for some people is, you know, it's so ingrained, but for others, it's really not as big of a deal for them. And when you have those things and they start to kind of like clash then that's when you see problems because in the food allergy world, you know, versus everywhere else, food is everything for other people. But in the food allergy world, we have learned how to find so many other things that are also of equal importance to food. And it really does create that that issue because people feel like you're attacking their identity. And that's not what's really happening. 
I have completely seen that take place, not only in my family, but I've even seen it with some of my friends, where you do have someone who they're known for their barbecue. And how dare you not come to the shrimp cookout when this is a family tradition and this is someone's famous dish, you know, or a grandparent. They're often known, you know, my grandmother used to be known for certain cookies and I couldn't imagine how she would have responded to me saying, well, you know what, I'm sorry that has dairy in it, egg and nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That can be really tough because the thing is in many cultures, especially, you know, in black culture in America and then other cultures that have immigrated here to America, a lot of times generations ago didn't really have much. Right. But the one thing they had was that creative control over what they were able to provide for their families, even with scraps. Right. If there was nothing left, like, I mean, I would see my grandmother just make the most amazing stuff out of like four things in a cabinet if she didn't hadn't gone to the store or something like that, right? So for people to be that creative and then you pass that down from generation to generation, people don't even know sometimes why they get offended when you don't want their food or you are questioning what's in their food. They don't know. They just know that somehow this is offensive. But if we step back and start to think, but why is this offensive to me? then maybe that's when we can start to change the game when it comes to how we connect with people. Right. And also for us having the understanding of where they're coming from. Yep. In my uh, previous life, way before children, I used to actually have a job where I traveled around the world as a trainer. And there were many cultures that I worked in that saying no was disrespectful. And so saying no, thank you, if someone was buying you a cocktail or buying you dinner or you're at their house and they're giving you extra serving saying no was just taboo. Yeah. I mean, and you still see that. And with some people today, you know, I know that you'll even find that in certain uh, religious spaces as well, right? You'll go to certain churches and they've got Sunday dinner or whatever day they, you know, they worship, they fellowship or whatever, and they've got, you know, some sort of big celebration. And then for you to not want to eat at this thing, when these people have given basically almost blood, sweat and tears to be able to provide this feast for everyone, people do take offense to that. And it, It's really taking time for people to make that shift psychologically so that they don't think that it's personal. That is key. And so staying right on this topic, let's talk about rejection, because I know sometimes that's what's being felt. And so just to dive into one example, in my husband's culture, serving food and cooking and hosting people is very important. But using the food and serving them is actually how they show their love and respect. So one holiday, we headed down to Southern California, and I had shared that my son had his dairy allergy amongst many others at the time, but that we needed soy milk and non-dairy items. So a family member went out and bought some items, but it was from a store that had their own brand. So there was no way to call them. There was no 800 number. You'd have to send them a letter actually, because it's that long ago, but you had to send a letter if you had an inquiry. And so when this was discovered, my family member was very hurt. I had some guilt going on. Then she had some guilt that she wasn't serving, you know, my son appropriately. And there was just this overall feeling of rejection. So can you talk to us about that? 
Yeah, that rejection feeling is really, like I said, it's just such an internal thing. We uh, are, are a nation, especially here in the U.S., but even in other countries, too, where we believe that perfection is everything, even when we think we don't believe that perfection is everything. But somehow we come up with this ideology about what perfection is or is not. But instead, I often wish that people could do an imperfection inventory so that they could see that we're all normal, right? When we have, we have these imperfections, but the rejection in general, that really comes down to personal situations within the person. And one thing that we don't do a great job of, and this is worldwide, is creating a life where people are more resilient when they are rejected. So resiliency is a big issue in that. But I find in these types of situations, if you can find one common thing to laugh at in that situation, it, t- it starts to take the sting out of what's actually happening at that time. And, you know, also having conversations in advance help. But when you have those conversations in advance, it often helps when you give suggestions of brands, you know, like, oh, we can't have this or we don't, you know, for this reason and that reason. But these are the types of brands that we know are pretty safe for us. And having that conversation, not just the basics, but expanding it can really help to actually reduce some of those issues, but also help you to kind of negate, you know, some of that rejection feeling. I love the resilience and the imperfection inventory. I could take a nice big inventory there and do something with it. (laughs) I can totally relate. Obviously, communication is going to be really big in this. So taking a dive into communication, one thing I know for sure is that framing and setting up the tough conversations is really how you get set up for a good successful conversation. And I also know you're an expert in this area. So once someone's realized that they need to have a tough conversation, what steps can they take to prepare for that conversation? You know, so for example, we're at somebody's house and they want to make toast for someone who's gluten-free and we know the toaster is not going to be safe. The bread is questionable. And, and how do we communicate that we can't do this, but also bring across our feelings of gratitude that they're trying to take care of us and they're trying to be kind. So what tips do you have for just setting up that conversation and then managing it? Well, with communication, that can that can really be tough because we have to realize that not everyone has the same command of that whatever language they speak as everyone else does, right? So for instance, in the English language, right, there are 171,000 words that are currently in use in our language, right? Now we don't use all of those words, but imagine with that many words, how many different words people are actually using. And when we think about communication, sometimes one word means something to one person, but it means something completely different to another person. So I think with that, it's really a matter of being able to get yourself to the point that you recognize wherever this conversation goes, one, I'm not going to take it personally. Two, I'm going to articulate quite clearly what it is that I mean so there is not miscommunication of what I'm saying. And I'm also going to frame that back when someone says something to me so that I know that I'm hearing it the way that they wanted me to hear it. But also they can hear that too, because maybe they said it and they were in the heat of the moment. They were passionate. They could be angry. They could be afraid, whatever that is. And they could say something and it comes out in a strange way. And, but that's not what they really meant. So 
a lot of times would you simply say, so what I'm hearing you say is X, Y, and Z, right? And that's going to make the difference. But when it comes to this situation, you cannot take this personally because people ultimately, for the most part, want to be compassionate. They do want to be caring. Most people want to. Are people that way all the time? Not necessarily. But at the end of the day, you're only responsible for what you do, what you say, and how you choose to navigate the emotions that you feel in that situation. You can't be responsible for theirs. They have to take some responsibility. That is powerful knowledge because I think too, as caregivers, we often want to take care of everybody. And we want to just make everything good for everybody and solve everything for everyone. And just when you were saying that, I thought, wow, that removes so much of the stress. Absolutely. Because really, it's just about it's about setting those boundaries. You have to set boundaries emotionally, right? And and when what I mean by those setting those emotional boundaries is saying to yourself, I care about this person, I care about this relationship, but how much of this am I willing to own if this doesn't feel good, Right. Because if it doesn't feel good because I said or did something, then I now have the opportunity to try to correct my what I said, correct my behavior. But if it's something on the other side, I really don't have control over what that person says or does. And the other part of it is when people kind of feel rejected and all these sorts of things when you're having these situations, think about this. We don't know what else is going on inside of them. So nine times out of 10, it's actually not even really about us. It's really about something else. And they might not even know what's going on inside of them. So when you take it personally, you're owning something that really doesn't belong to you. That is so true. You know, you never know what somebody else is going through. You're seeing this reaction and maybe it's negative or heated and you're thinking it's you and you're right. It's something else is happening and you're maybe the trigger or you're just the next person that walked along and they're just not in a good space. Yeah. And, and, and you said the key word trigger, right? So in my work, you know, I do a lot of work with the whole trauma thing and all that sort of stuff like that. And my other work that I do, one of the things that people don't realize is that so many people are triggered by things that you might not necessarily think are triggering. For instance, if you reject someone's food because of your food allergy, in their mind, that could create a trauma reenactment. And in that trauma reenactment, it could have been something from their childhood when they were very poor and they couldn't do anything or their parents couldn't do anything, or maybe they couldn't take care of their children at some point. And now they're at this point where it's a different time in their life. They can really do something for someone and you have the nerve to say no, and it hurts, but they don't realize that they're projecting from that place of that trigger of that trauma onto you. So that's why I keep saying you can't really take it personally because you just don't necessarily know where it's coming from. So what do you do then if in the discussion things get heated? Like you see the other person really getting hot and you're about to now have a full-blown argument. How do you bring that down? Do you have any tips for how to diffuse the argument or just how to bring it down or how to table it? Yeah. So when those things happen at that point, that person has now become dysregulated. And in that dysregulated state, unfortunately, a lot of things can happen. When you're dysregulated, your executive functioning is not necessarily in the place that you'd want it to be. Your command of language is not exactly where, you know, if you ever had noticed a little kid, when they start crying, they get really upset and you're asking them what's wrong and they can't talk, 
right? Because their language center is impacted because they're so dysregulated. So when you have these heated moments and somebody gets to that point where they're that upset and that dysregulation happens, you have a choice. You have a choice then to exercise emotional intelligence. You get to make a decision. You get to navigate that situation and say, am I going to respond or am I going to react in this situation? If you react, then you are now going to be in that same space with that other person and this powder keg is going to blow up. But if you respond, and what is the proper response in that case? Be calm, pause, and whatever you do, don't stop breathing. You've got to be able to breathe to make sure you keep your own system regulated. Give them an opportunity to speak if they can. And then if you at that point can respond, so be it. If not, you may have to take a time out from one another. Just depends on what the situation is. If you're visiting family for the holidays or something, you might not be able to walk right away, but you might be able to go into another room until tempers kind of calm down and you can actually have a better conversation. These are incredible tips and very, very powerful. So now as an adult sitting here listening to you talk, you're talking about boundaries and dysregulation and EQ even. So how as an adult can we improve our communication skills? We never really stop and think, am I a good communicator? But in terms of dealing with family members, I think for me, it would be time to brush up on communication skills. So how would we go about that? We have to realize that the way that you communicate with one person may be different than the way that you communicate with another person. There's, you know, a popular book that's been out. Gary Chapman for years wrote the five love languages. He wrote the five love languages of apology, the five languages of a, of a, in a workplace. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of truth to that sort of information because we all process things differently. We all have different needs, but in communication, you have to understand that adults have different needs too. If you're a parent, you've got three kids, right? You may be able to speak quietly to one child and they get it. Another one, you might have to speak a little louder to and they get it, right? So that doesn't necessarily change when it comes to adults is that we all have our own communication style. If you're vested in that relationship, then Learn that person's language of communication. And by doing that, you will subsequently begin to teach them your language of communication. People want to be heard. They want to belong. It's in the basic hierarchy of needs. Everybody wants to belong somewhere. But if I can't communicate with you and that barrier is there, I don't feel like I belong. And suddenly the wall is up and we get nowhere. So understand what that communication style is. Some people aren't really good at talking a lot. Some people might write. Some people might deal better with analogies, right? Find out what that is if you're really vested in that relationship. So staying on this topic here and going even deeper with just communication and tackling that family member, can you just give us an example, maybe something you've experienced or somebody, something you've seen of a situation where there's obviously some conflict, you have a family member who isn't getting it. But what does a healthy conversation look like? Like, what's a good healthy approach? I know for me, I just learned really well from hearing or seeing an example. There was a family member who decided that they wanted to buy some bread mix for my daughter at one point during a holiday. And they bought this bread mix. But unfortunately, they bought one, she's she's gluten free. But 
she's also allergic to eggs, right? So many of these products have eggs in them that are gluten-free. And this person thought they were really, really doing a great job with this whole situation. But unfortunately, we couldn't use it. And they felt so deflated because of it. So the first thing you have to do in a situation like that is you have to really tell that person that you really appreciate what they did. You really appreciate them. You appreciate the effort. And in this situation, this is what the issue is that we're dealing with. And I kind of la- like, I kind of make light of things sometimes. And I say, man, I'll tell you, I'll be glad when these companies can get it right and they can make it gluten-free and egg-free. And then we, but neither one of us will have this problem. And when you lighten it up in that kind of a way, it takes the responsibility of the error away from that person. So they don't feel like they're being accused of something. And then those walls tend to come down. So having that healthy conversation in a way that, because it's often charged when you're dealing with health issues, right? And, you know, sometimes that really makes things a little bit worse. So if you can find just that one light, just that one light in the midst of that dark moment and pull on that one light, so that not only you can see it, but that other person can see it, then the barriers start to pull away. An impressive example. Thank you for sharing that. So now we've been talking mostly about the adults, but what do we do about the child that's in the room, like the child with the food allergies who is sitting there? How do we handle these situations so that we're not throwing inadvertent guilt on the child? In, in this space, Many of our children that I've had the honor of being in the presence of in the food allergy world have this sort of guilt, whether they express it to their parents or they don't. They really feel somehow that they are the burden, you know, in these situations. But, you know, this goes back to this whole point of this perfectionism thing, right? Perfectionism is a fantasy. It's a fantasy because it's never obtained. It's never real. It will always be a fantasy. So giving kids an opportunity to understand that, you know what? Grownups don't get it right all the time either. Grownups are imperfect. And sometimes when we're having conversations about things, we don't get it right. But you don't have to be responsible for that. The grownups are going to deal with that. You've got all this other stuff you've got school, you've got this, you've got that. Let me do this thing. Let me handle this thing and show them the importance of all the responsibilities they already have and how you just can't hold everything in your bucket. So, so true. So now do you have any do's and don'ts for when we're dealing with family members or people who don't get it? Like some just absolutes don't go there. Well, I will say when you're in these situations, there are certain things that you have to do, especially like, I I like that. I know we're not in the holiday season yet, but like, I kind of think about that or any family gatherings or stuff like that. A lot of times when we have these big events, we're tired, we're flustered, we're rushing, we're doing this and we're doing that. So we're already charged. If you're dealing with this health situation, you need to be as full as you can be. You can't be running on empty. Because everything somebody says to you is going to bother you. And then it's a chain reaction. And even whether they meant to say it or they didn't mean to say it, and then it's just going to keep going and going and going. Feed yourself first. 
Make sure you're in a good head space. Make sure you're in a good heart space before you interact with people. That's part of what your boundary setting is. Give yourself that time before you interact to find your peace so that when these things happen, you're less likely to be drawn into their chaos and more likely to draw them into your peace. Now, if you can't draw them into your peace, that's fine. But set your boundaries, have conversations in a calm manner, and what they choose to do about that is going to have to be on them in the end. But you do your best. Make sure you're speaking fairly, nicely, in a great way. And what happens from there, we, we hope it gets better. And I'm so glad you brought up getting ourselves in a good space and a right space. Because when I even just think back to myself with my personal family, you know, dealings were driving down to LA. It's an eight hour drive. I'm trying to pack everything, get everything. I arrive, I'm frazzled. And I think this is really important to hear that that's okay. That's how road trips are, right? You're frazzled nine, nine hours in a car and then you hit LA traffic. But I think what you're saying is it's also key just to stop and get yourself in some, a good space. Just get yourself grounded and prepared to have good conversations. Absolutely. And, and the other part of that is uh, the don'ts again, or don't take it personal, right? I can't, I, I, that, I can't overstate that. Don't take it personal. The other part of it is, is don't feel that what you're asking or what your needs are for the health and safety of yourself or your child are more than what you should expect, right? Although your health situation may be your health situation, if a person cares about you, we have to care enough about one another to make the accommodations for each other. So you have to set your boundaries as well. Sometimes that does mean that you might not be at a certain event or situation or whatever that might be. But then you just make the best of it. You take yourself out to dinner. You take your kids out. You go shopping. You do some other things. You can make things more memorable, more eventful. Because isn't it better to have a great memory that you create versus the drama that you'd have to constantly deal with year after year or event after event with people, you got to pick your battles. And sometimes we have to find a new way of living and creating happy experiences for ourselves. That is just genius. I need to tattoo that right across my forehead. But believe it or not, we're at the end of our time together. So do you have any last wise words to share with our listeners today? The last thing I will say is that humans are imperfect. The people we love are imperfect. We're imperfect. And not everybody is going to see things from your perspective. They're not going to do things the way that you do it. They're not going to believe everything that you say. And that's just the way that the world is. But you get to choose every single day how you navigate your conversations how you navigate the way that you manage people and the way that you manage yourself. And that's where you will always remain having your power. Don't let anyone take your power from you. Don't sink to anybody else's level. What beautiful words to end our time together. Thank you again, Elisa, for your time. You are an incredibly busy woman and we all just appreciate you sitting down with us and sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much. I always love doing this. Well, we'll see you soon on Facts Roundtable Podcast. All right. Thanks.
Before we say goodbye today, I just want to take a moment to pause and say thank you to ARS Pharmaceuticals for their kind sponsorship of Facts Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.